My name is Armando. And my name is Rebecca. And you are tuning in to episode five of the Will to Trust podcast. All episodes are available free to listen on iTunes, Podbean, and other affiliate podcast services. Thank you for joining us. Today is June 15, 2020, and we have an excellent conversation coming up. Today, we'll be discussing the importance of having a living will and how it fits in your estate plan. Beginning today, new episodes will be available for you to enjoy every other Monday. Before we begin, if you have any topics you would like to recommend or simply want to leave a comment, make sure to visit our website, www.lifelegacypa.com, where you can find additional instructions on how to reach us. Today, we'll be continuing our discussion on advanced healthcare directives in our two-part series in which we will cover all the documents that are commonly used to form an advanced healthcare directive. Hey, Bex, what's up? How have you been? Very good. Thanks. Everything's good with me, too. Uh, let's talk today about one of the documents that I always kind of feel a little... It's a, it's a tough conversation to have with clients uh, because... A lot of clients will, will, you know, we're starting our, our conversation with them where we're discussing family, we're discussing relatives and their wishes for what they want to leave. And then we always come across this part of the conversation, which is discussing, well, what if you're in a situation where it's not about asking somebody to make a medical decision for you? It's about asking somebody whether they should remo- remove you off of life support. And I think in every every time we bring it up, usually one of the couple that we're talking to is like not uneasy, but they're kind of like, "What do you mean?" Like, yeah. So like, is this like, like, are they pulling the plug? Like, what 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 kind of power do I have if I'm still awake? And I'm like, right. So we'll discuss uh this particular document that we use, and it's living will, the living will, um, and it's one of the toughest documents that I that I think to date to discuss with clients. Yeah, I think we, I think even uneasy is an okay word to use. I think some clients really do get uneasy or un- uncomfortable thinking about um, this particular situation that you would be on life support and you have to decide for yourself whether you would be um, kept on it or not. And I think they do get uncomfortable. And this is probably one of those reasons that people avoid estate planning so much. One of them is probably who you're going to leave things to in your will and trying to not make people um, fight over your things. And then the other is probably making these really tough decisions about your own health and what happens when you can't make decisions for yourself. Yeah, it's tough. Now, let's kind of do an overview of the living will document in of itself and what it requires and what it actually does. So the living will document is you sign it and what it stipulates, what the power, the power that it has is that it initially it says that in the case that you have a terminal condition that you either, well, either have a terminal condition, you have an end stage condition, or you're in a persistent vegetative state. Okay. Depend what it's like, if you have like, it's like, you should be two physicians, your primary physician and another consulting physician. If they've determined that you've, that you have one of these conditions, then you are signing the power that they are to remove you off of life support. Right. And And one thing, 
sorry, just to interrupt there. Uh, one thing that I always like to um, emphasize when we explain that to clients is that they also um, have to, those two cons um, physicians also have to determine that there's no probability of recovery from such condition. Yeah. Uh, let me actually just read. I think sometimes it's just best to just read straight out of the, so you signed this statement. Declaration made this day of the year, I willfully and voluntarily make known my desire that my dying not be artificially prolonged under the circumstances set forth below. And I do hereby declare that if at any time I incapacitated and I have a terminal condition or I have an end stage condition or I am in a persistent vegetative state. And if my primary physician and another consulting physician have determined that there's no reasonable medical probability of recovery from such condition, I direct that life prolonging procedures be withheld or withdrawn. And those are very, very strong and bold words yeah. because it, 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 it effectively you're, you're telling your family that if these conditions are met, you do not want to be on life support. You want to be let go and, uh, you know, have a natural death. And it's tough. I, I know that one of the, the first questions we have, and I, this was a little, you know, we could cut side on the, on the funny side a little bit. Um, one of our clients, we're talking, we're discussing, and he goes, well, what if I don't want this when it's happening? And I'm like, well... If, if, if you're awake and if you're conscious, this, this document does not kick in. Right. So don't, don't think that you're signing, um, you're signing some document that has power over what you, you know, these documents are in the case that you have no, you're no. incapacitated. Uh -huh. You have no way to, to voice your wishes. Choose for yourself. Exactly. Right. Um, and it, it, it is a tough document. With that said, you can also use a living will and I, and I made sure to, to go and re, I, I've never, I haven't seen one that says this, but I have one on and researched it to make sure that it is true. You can technically make a living will that states the complete opposite. That states right. that, that you do not want to be uh, withdrawn from life support in any case that you meet these conditions. So that is something we haven't really seen that. I think that the more common is that you would like to be withdrawn. But again, the living will is just that a will of your wishes um, in the case that these conditions are met. So right. what we have seen is people will add some time. They'll say, okay, so they've said that I have no um, chance of recovery, but I would like to stay on life support for another three months before you unplug me or until it becomes um, a burden of, because I think one thing that people and why people don't choose to stay on artificial life support is that that can get very expensive and become a very big financial and emotional burden on families. So most of the time people will say, OK, if they have said that I have no chance of recovery and I'm in this condition, I can't speak for myself. The only thing keeping me alive is artificial life support. Then, yeah, you can take me off of that. And. One thing that's also important is that this doesn't mean that they're going to leave you um, totally unplugged with just sitting in pain. Um, they do say that they will allow you, it says afterwards, um, when they withdraw the life prolonging procedures, that they will permit you to die naturally with only the administration of medication 
or the performance of any medical procedure deemed necessary to provide me with comfort care or to alleviate pain. So they're going to make sure that you're comfortable, but they're going to take off that artificial life support that's just keeping you alive. Yeah. And even though I keep on repeating the part that it is a difficult conversation to have with clients, um, we've had an overwhelming uh number of clients say that they absolutely do want this document in their estate plan. So um, it's just tough to kind of explain to them the purpose of the document, the power it holds. But once they understand the document, once they understand what a living will is, um, a majority will, will, will usually say, yeah, they want that in their, in their estate plan. So it's definitely something to consider. um, If you're, if you're talking to an estate planning attorney, and you want more information about this document, bring it up, talk to them. I think that a lot of estate planning attorneys will benefit from you being already um, somewhat knowledgeable about this, you know, about living wills, because it, it makes it easier, it makes the conversation easier, uh, and you can, you know, learn more about it that way. Uh, right. And one way yep. to highlight the importance of this document is to think about the situation in which it's going to be used and think about your healthcare surrogate who you've probably chosen in at the same time as this. And um, you'll think if let's say it's your child that you've chosen to make this decision, if you're in this position where you can't make this decision on your own, um, do you want your child to ha- bear that burden of making that choice or maybe fight with another sibling thinking, well, my parent would have wanted to be unplugged and the other one would say, well, no, I think they would have wanted a few more months. So do you want to clarify that from the beginning and say, look, this is what I would want. And I think that's the best way to realize how important this is and to kind of motivate you to get past the uncomfortable uneasiness of the situation, of thinking about the situation and making that decision. Excellent point. That That's a really good point because you really are shifting that responsibility from your family members who will have to make that choice um, and you're shifting it to yourself and saying, I want this. So that's a very, very good point. Yeah. Uh, in our normal, in, in, in our normal habit, uh, we will just outline the requirements for execution of this document. It's the same as any other advanced healthcare directive document. It's the principal signature. You have to be an adult. You have to be competent. And you have to, you know, be able to know what you're signing, and then you have to sign that in the presence of two witnesses. And one of those two witnesses can either be a spouse or a relative. So, you know, that that's the signing of, uh, you know, of the living will. And again, remember that. Capacity is important. Do not wait to sign or execute these documents until it's too late. Um, we'll talk about that in a later episode because capacity could probably take up an entire episode. Uh, but it is important that if you do understand the power of these documents and you want it in your estate plan, do it now. When you have, if you have a clear head, you know what you're signing, uh, and don't don't leave it to the end. And uh, let's talk about. An auxiliary document. I think this document is incredibly important for many reasons. The HIPAA release form. Now, we've spoken in the part one, we spoke about advanced healthcare directives. Uh, we, in particular, we spoke about uh, healthcare surrogates and how healthcare surrogates have the power to make choices for you in the case that you can't make one for yourself medically. And uh, the HIPAA release form is just an additional document that you can sign to give somebody 
not necessarily the power to make a medical choice for you, but for them to be able to just learn about your medical uh, history and learn about your medical condition at the moment. And it could be a very an invaluable document when it comes to just learning about uh, letting somebody in your family know or allow them to be able to check up on you medically without having them the power, well, giving them the power to make an actual medical choice for you. Right. Yeah. Um, I think yep. with um, maybe an elderly person who has um, multiple children, even though you might not have them all making decisions for you, it might um, they might want them all to be able to access that information or have conversations with the doctors, um, be able to call the doctor and say, what is this medication that my parent is on? Um, what does it do? What are the side effects? And you want people to be able to... Um, understand that or, or be able to access that information, even if not everyone's going to be making that decision. Absolutely. Um, and another thing to keep in mind is last episode, we spoke about healthcare surrogates and just, you know, being able to make a good choice on who your healthcare, healthcare surrogate should be. And we spoke about just, you know, uh, distance and location, and you want somebody that's going to be relatively available for you for that for you so in the case you need them they're there to make a choice but what if you have somebody who you do care for or they you know that they have maybe added experience uh in the medical field and you'd want them to at least be able to know your medical history your medical condition but they're just not really available as a healthcare surrogate you could always give them a hipaa release form um and then that way they have the power to at least learn about your conditions they really have no power to make a healthcare med- a medical healthcare choice for you, but your surrogate can then rely on them if they want to to make an informed decision, which is a nice little added bonus. Um, and you still leave the power of making a choice on one person, so you don't have that issue that we spoke about um, in the last episode where you have too many people making choices for you, and it's just kind of you know it gets messy. And then, okay, so that's the HIPAA release form. We're going to kind of run through this last document, and then we'll get into the second part of this episode, um, which is a little more app, you know, applied information of these uh, documents. And then, uh, Rebecca, you want to cover this last document for us? Right. So the last document is the uniform donor form. And this really doesn't even need to be its own document. Um, the Florida statutes actually allow this to be part of a will or, a li- or another a living will or a healthcare surrogate designation. It's really just um, where someone would make the choice ahead of time that they would like to be a donor of um, anatomical gifts when they pass away, mm-hmm. if they can give an organ or um, something like that, they can designate it ahead of time and say, I want to be um, a uniform donor or sorry, um, I want to be able to give that gift when I pass away and they allow you to put that in those documents or have a uniform donor, um, form on its own or a card that will just say that. So you can already have it, um, clear to physicians and to your healthcare surrogate. They should also be aware of that. And one thing to note is that if it is separate from these other documents, it still needs those same execution requirements as the other ones. That is, um, you need to be signing it in the presence of two witnesses. And um, they need to also be 
in the same in your presence while you're signing it. Mm-hmm. What's the so what's the difference in the uniform donor form? And I, I remember when I took my license out a gazillion years ago, um, they asked me if I wanted to be a donor. Like, how does is there like a difference? Like, and I'm I'm truly I, anxious. Because I, I I honestly had no clue. Right. So the the Florida statutes kind of allow you to. I think that's one way to say mm. that you want to be a donor. And then this is just an additional way. Sometimes people don't like to put it on their licenses. I've actually heard a lot of people who say they don't want to put it on their license because they think that they will not get saved, um, that they won't resuscitate them or that they'll let them die so that they can take their organs. Obviously, I don't ag- agree that that's true, but sometimes people won't put it on their license for that reason. Um, and maybe they just want to tell their healthcare surrogate instead <laughs> and say, Hey, if the time comes that I don't make it and you can save this to donate, then I would like you to do so. Yeah. And I would assume that if there's any sort of like conflict, th- this document would probably trump the older. So like if your license says no, and this document says yes, I would assume this document, like whatever latest Whatever whatever document right. came latest, right, um, is the one that's going to to rule. So if the, if your license has something you don't agree with, you could always just draft this form up and uh, decide whichever way you want it to be. You know, if you want to. So donate that's or not. a really yeah, that's a really good one. I'm I'm looking at the statute now. It says um, you can make a gift by signifying an intent to donate on his or her driver's license or identification card issued by the department. Mm-hmm. And revocation, suspension, expiration, or cancellation of the driver license or identification card does not invalidate the gift. So I wonder how powerful that um, designation is. Yeah. I would assume that, like you said, the more um, well, yeah, I'm more just current. Yeah, I'm thinking like would be. I'm thinking like a judge looking at this, right? And you have two conflicting similar documents because it's they're both you know they're both executable documents they're both documents that have you know they've both been executed properly they both have your wishes but they're just conflicting um if we treat it like any other estate planning document the the newer one is the one that usually more current the current right right so that that's important because i i'm thinking what if somebody did make a choice like i don't even remember what i put in my license at all so i'm thinking if if right. you want to make it clear this would be a, this would be a great document to have um yeah. and we might start really considering these documents um in our own estate planning practice so you know just kind of like bringing it in be like if you if this is something you want we can add it to your to your plan yeah I think um, they also mentioned in the statute that you can register online with the regist- uh, online donor registry. So um, that's also another option. And usually I think that when you do fill this out, you'd want to keep it um, close to you, on you. They say it's a uniform donor mm. card because I assume they want you to make it small enough so that you can maybe keep it in your wallet or keep it somewhere that's accessible so that because sometimes it's just in emergencies yeah. when this happens and that does have to happen quickly so talking about um just access to your documents and when you actually need them and when to look at them again that brings a, that's a great segue into our next section which is a uh, part right. two of this podcast and we're going to be discussing the application so you've already you've drafted your documents you have your documents ready everything is set to go but one of two things is going to happen. One, 
you're perfectly healthy and you're nothing happens and 30 years goes by and you haven't seen your documents since or two something happens and you're going to need to either have one of the documents you know be used or something happens medically that all of this work comes into play and uh let's let's discuss the first portion which is when to re-examine your document so like Bex, so what does this mean? So it, it means that you've you've made your you've made your documents, and now you're you're saying, well, when do you look back on those documents? Like when when do you look and say, I I need to do something new to it. I need to refresh my documents. Right. Well, um, the ABA, which is the American Bar Association, they have these really great um, tools about um, a toolkit on advanced healthcare directives where they give a lot of just information and guides on all of this. And one of those documents that we also have all this linked on our Instagram page, and we'll be including it in the podcast notes. Um, But one of those links is um, saying, what do you do once you have this in place? And they say, um, you should re-examine your healthcare wishes whenever any of the five Ds occur. So they list out these five Ds. It says, uh, the first one is decade. Every time you start a new decade of your life. Mm -hmm. The second one is death. Whenever you experience the death of a loved one. Um, Three is divorce. When you experience a divorce or other major family change. Four, diagnosis. If you're diagnosed with a serious health condition. And five, decline. When you experience a significant decline or deterioration of an existing health condition, especially when it diminishes your ability to live independently. So those are really big life changes and that would all affect your healthcare wishes. So that's a a really great guide to just keep in mind on how often and when you should reevaluate these documents. And I think... When, when, when you look back at these five Ds, right, there's only really one that stands out as something that I think people may not really cue themselves to do because all the other ones have some sort of reactionary, like you have a healthcare condition that comes up, you have a decline in your health, you have a divorce, a death in the family. But the decade one, I think, is important because just because you haven't had something major happen in your family or in your lifetime or in your in your your 10 years that you've been living for that moment it's always good to go back and review your documents yeah. um because even though you may think you remember what you signed you don't <laughs> yeah you, you don't and it's great to just go back and any estate planning attorney that's worth their weight um, is going to provide you once you've signed all your documents. They provide you with a binder or some sort of a package where everything is nicely uh, labeled and easy f- and easily indexed, and just something that you should do. And I, I would argue that these are kind of like your bare minimum requirements. I would say at least every five years, go back and check. Um, if if you haven't had to access them at all, go back and check every five years. It's it's nice to just be able to know. These are the documents I have in place. I don't know how many times, and Rebecca, you, you, I'm sure you, you, you've had the same experience with clients where you talk to them and you're like, what documents do you already have? And they'll be like, oh, I don't know. I think I have a power of attorney. I think I have a living will. I think, I think, I think. And I'm like, right. let's take this one step at a time and see exactly what. But it, it wor- it's worrisome to think that you know people don't know what they have. And I think it's very common because, I mean, how many times 
let's take it not that far. How many times do you open an account on a website because you just want to get emails or something mm -hmm. and you know, you put it and you just forget that the account's there. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for for us to make all these documents, put it in a binder and then stow away, stow it away in a closet. But uh, knowing exactly what's in your estate plan is important. So I think that yeah. that decade um, requirement or not requirement, but like just that recommendation for you to go back and look at your documents every 10 years yeah. is great. Right. And relationships change. So maybe you had a very close, maybe you don't have a lot of relatives, but you have a very close family friend who you wanted to have administering your estate or um, making these healthcare decisions if you can't. Um, and 10 years later, you guys just aren't as close anymore or this person moved away and really isn't available to make those decisions for you. Those are things that might not make you think, oh, I should go change my estate plan. But if you're checking it at least you know, every five, 10 years, then you'll go back and realize, oh, I forgot that I put this person to make these decisions and they really can't do that anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that I recommend um, clients do, um, and I think it helps people kind of like stay mentally aware with the documents and just kind of know that they're there is put your documents in a file or somewhere nearby where you are also putting in more current information. So for example, we tell our clients to keep track of their bank accounts and just have bank account information somewhere near their estate plan because in mm -hmm. the case that they pass away, uh, it's great to, for the, the administrator to be able to go and look and say, ah, the, they had this many bank accounts. Bank accounts are often somewhat fluid. A lot of people tend to close a bank accounts, open some, close others, and that happens rather frequently with very financially active uh, individuals. And if they're doing this and they're actually putting in information of their bank accounts there, they're, they're also actively thinking about what all their documents they have in that file as well. So maybe adding some a reason for you to go back and maybe review your documents or just know that the documents are there um, in a more frequency than just five years or 10 years is really helpful as well. So it's just little little, little tidbits that I, that I like to give out, you know, for, for people who maybe are like me and we just are very forgetful. Like I know, I know if I if if I have my documents and I just put them in a closet, I probably wouldn't look at them forever. So you know, for people like me, we have to create these incentives to go back and check over and over. Yeah. So, so we have when to reexamine. So time has gone by, right? Well, the next part is what do you do with the documents? Like you have your documents, but what do you do with them? So just kind of and run think, me through it. Yeah, I think you, you hit a few of them already with what you said. You know, you want to make sure that they can be easily found, have it in a place where you know where it is and where your healthcare surrogate knows where it is. Also, um, we recommend giving your healthcare surrogate a copy for themselves. And then you should always, um, healthcare surrogate, living will, um, donor forms, you should give a copy of those to your physician your primary physician so that they can place that into your medical records. Um, you can carry a, an advanced directive wallet card with you, letting people know that you have these documents and where it can be found or who it's registered with. And then if you are entering a hospital or a nursing home, you want to make sure that they have a copy of that in your medical records as well. And just making sure that it's in a place that is able to be accessed easily yeah. and quickly 
and that someone knows how to get to it. There's even some um, organizations that let you register them electronically so that um, other healthcare institutions or maybe your relatives will be able to access it electronically. So that's also an option, but you just wanna make sure that the, the keyword is accessible. It needs to be accessible and very easily found. Especially when um, a medical situation arises and everyone's running around, people are nervous, people are you know scared. Not all medical um, emergencies are scary, but if it is, you want to have all of this information or all these documents in a place where um, somebody can easily access through all the chaos. Because I know for a fact that um, having family members rush to the hospital is not a pleasant experience. I think everyone would agree. And right. the last thing you want is all of this getting lost in the shuffle. Um, yeah. So like Rebecca was saying, and I want to emphasize, have somebody that, and this goes back to just making sure that these documents are updated. Make sure also that, you're, that you have somebody that's on standby, whether it be your healthcare surrogate or whether it be somebody that's living with you or somebody that lives close to you. Make sure that they're on standby. So if something does happen to you and you are in, the, in a situation rushed to the hospital and everyone's, that they are the ones that are cued at that point to go and get these documents for you if you have not already done that for yourself. So, you know, it's important things to think about before... Um, the proverbial shit hits the fan, you know, yeah. because it will. And uh, you want to have all of this, uh, you know, just set up and ready to go. Uh, so I want to, I think we want to discuss this real quick because we have had clients bring this up and uh, tell us, well, what if we have, or how do we get a do not resuscitate order? And um, we don't do that. Uh, attorneys actually don't draft do not resuscitate that's with your physician so if you do want a do not resuscitate um, you're gonna have to talk to your physician about it and there's a, an entire set of laws for that and uh, we could probably so I, I've been thinking about maybe having an episode with um, estate planning myths where we kind of like not debunk but like kind of go over uh, misconceptions of estate planning and yeah. that would probably be a good one where we can kind of hit. That is a big one. Yeah, we could go and, and, and hit it a little harder and just, you know, kind of like make some, you know, set some, some things straight about that because I think a lot of people, uh, you know, don't truly understand that do not resuscitate and what it means uh, for, your, for your medical choices because it's just really not an estate planning uh, document at all. So, yeah, just a little heads up there. Um, that's it for our substantive part of the podcast, but I know Rebecca has one last thing to bring up. Uh, yes. do you want to, you want to touch up on that? Yeah. So, um, as we've been doing for the past few weeks in our past few podcast episodes on Instagram, we, um, like to issue a little challenge just to help you to think about what we spoke about and how you can start applying this or getting this done even before you speak with your attorney. And for this week, since we spoke about having those decisions, I mean, making those decisions and having those conversations with healthcare surrogates, one of the ABA tools um, that I spoke about earlier has is a healthcare proxy quiz. 
And this is just a short little quiz that um, helps you figure out whether your family or your healthcare surrogate, whoever you're thinking of having, how well they know your wishes and um, kind of your values or just your priorities so that if you were in a situation that you can't make a decision for yourself, you'll know that they'll make a decision that you would um, agree with or that you would want for yourself. So it says it's a tool to promote better conversation and understanding. And um, I just wanted to read one of the questions so you kind of understand the questions that it brings up. And it says, which of the following do you fear most near the end of life? And it says, A, being in pain, B, losing the ability to think, or C, being a financial burden on loved ones. And it's just good to know, to, to kind of put these thoughts down, even if it, they're uncomfortable and unhappy thoughts to have. But it's good to just say, look, this is what I really care about. I really care about making sure that I'm not a burden on you, or I really don't want to be um, living a life where, where I'm in constant pain. So these are things that you can, it's a short quiz. It's only 10 questions. And you would take the quiz yourself and then you would have your proxy or family member take the quiz and then you could compare answers and it'll just open up those conversations. Um, I know it's not a fun activity to do, but it, it is an important one that might just get the, get the ball rolling in the right direction. So that's going to be our challenge on Instagram. Um, I'll be posting that later today. And we have it linked on our website. We'll have it also in the podcast notes so that you could check it out. And if you're not following us on Instagram already, you can go follow us now at Life Legacy Law. That is our handle. And you'll see that post later today. And that, that's excellent. Uh, I think that a lot of people would probably rather do the quiz than talk to an estate planning attorney. So I, right. I, I think that's, a, that, that's at least a lower bar of entry. And it's great that it gives people the option of doing it without the added uh, expense, time, or just you know stress that comes with talking to somebody that um, you you know you just don't want to have that, those difficult conversations with. So I think that's a really that's a it's a great option, and uh, yeah. I'll definitely probably hit those quizzes up myself just to kind of like see what happens and just you know talk to family and see hey how do you, what, what did you think about this. You know, what do, right. you, what do you think about the result? Like, you know, the, just a general conversation that comes out of it and uh, very cool stuff. Um, and I think that's, that's it for today. Yeah, so that wraps up the conversation for today. Thank you for joining us. If you want more information on anything discussed today, make sure to visit our website, www.lifelegacypa.com. There you can find articles, documents referenced on the show and a lot of other resources for your planning needs. So please go check it up there. We'll also have the show notes post it on the blog on the website because uh we can't we have like a Podbean uh limit on our show notes it's like 500 characters and there's just not enough space to put all the information we need to give you guys there so go to the website go to the blog it'll be there if you're listening to the podcast it'll be there so yeah um thank you guys for joining and we hope to hear from you soon bye bye